Hey guys, hope you're having a great day. Today I'm going to be talking with John Apino from Contract Diagnostics again. We recently had him on to dig into compensation and contracts and things to think about in regards to negotiating. And so John runs this company, Contract Diagnostics, who specializes in helping physicians to review contracts and also review compensation arrangements. So John has a pretty extensive knowledge and tons of experience around this specific subject. So today we're going to be talking about some of the potential non-compete changes that have been proposed. At this point, nothing's actually changed, but there's been some like proposals made and some talk around non-competes getting eliminated. And so John weighs in on his thoughts on how that will shake out. We also talk about how important some of the big features of a contract are in regards to your options if things don't work out. In particular, we talk about the non-compete or the non-solicitation, I can't ever say that word, non-solicitation agreements and restrictive covenants. Those are super important parts of your contract and they're kind of like the ways that employers will lock you down from being able to go to a different place. The second big part we talk about is tail insurance. That's another big aspect that can oftentimes get you locked down. And then the last part we hit on is some of the arrangements like bonus arrangements and in-training pay that oftentimes employers will throw out at you. But typically they come with some sort of lock-in provision as well. So I personally tend to advocate for more flexibility and limiting the amount of lock-in. I've seen a lot of people get stuck in situations they don't really enjoy or have to leave a city because of something like that. So that's even more reason to really scrutinize these contracts on the front end and have a company like John's to review that for you. So the end of the day, it's just about being aware of these things. A lot of times people go in, you got a lot going on and you just kind of go in and just knock things out. So, but yeah, we'll jump into that conversation today and hope you enjoy it. It's always enjoyable for me to dig into this kind of thing. I know compensation, well, especially contracts, maybe you're not the most enjoyable thing to dig into. Like it's a legal contract. How enjoyable can that be? But I think the part about the compensation and the livelihood, like your job is a huge thing and understanding this stuff, at least the basics is super important and can ha- will have a really big impact on your life. So we'll jump into our show and um, do that now. Did you just so, do like physical therapy and doing the... Oh man, it cost you forty nine ninety five to find that one out. Um, <laughs> no, I did a whole bunch of really hippy stuff. I mean, I learned so much about bones and how they heal. I talked to oh, friends. Oh, you did all pro, of the things. Pro, pro athletes and I did yeah. a ton of stuff. And I'm actually putting together like a website it's just going to be like, I mean, I could charge 50 bucks for it, but I'm not going to make me wealthy anyways. Yeah. And so I'm like, but I might probably just give it away for free because people who, I know what it's like to break your arm and or break right. a bone and you have, you're like, okay, now what do I do? Listen to the doctor. Do I, there's so much stuff online. Well, they just probably Everyone's give you body like chemistry the, is different, but this is what I did. And here's what yeah. I Well, they give you like the average American recommendation. They're like, I get some rest and here's some painkillers yeah. and yeah. Do some yeah, physical therapy and you're good. terrible today. I don't know why. I think it looks all right. You my lighting seems terrible. Is the lighting okay? It's, it looks weird today. 
It's a little dark. I don't know if I changed. Foggy. Yeah, this looks dark. I don't know. Yeah. My lighting is not the best. I don't, I don't have. I, let me see. I don't know if I even want it. There you, you go. Like this little screen is, it the, is it a laptop? Camera thing? Or that what? actually looks better. <laughs> I think that better. Looked, I, well, I think that was like it. Like the little, you get smudges or whatever, just like your, like my iPhone camera. And you all never the time, think just to wipe off it. your. That's like the last thing to no, think. Oh, when you take pictures, you're like, man, these pictures look like crap. Why? And then it's because you got chicken grease all over or whatever. So nice, cool. Anyways, anyway, so that. you're good. Everything uh, rock yeah. and roll with you guys. Business is is the same old. We've hired a couple of people. I'm like working more on the business, so that's been good. Oh, brilliant! And yeah. feels so good when you can do that, doesn't it? I, I enjoy the business part most so yeah it's fun for me to tinker around with things so i've been able to work more on marketing and like strategy and that, that kind of stuff so and yeah. then having good people is huge too so they add to the business a lot <laughs> yeah we just we just hired a amazing person and she actually almost applied for the job last time i, I hired and she didn't i mean she's already done podcasts she's already she's looked at thousands of physician contracts she I mean, she's amazing. She's fun. It's like a unicorn. She loves to travel. And yeah. And I'm like, I'm, and I was, I'm like, hey, I got to tell you, I'm mad at you. Cause like one of the, the sheets that she fills in, like we did a questionnaire before I even talked with them, one of the sheets was like, why did you apply? And she said, I actually was going to apply whatever, 10 months ago or eight months ago, but I didn't. And I figured I'd apply this time. And I started off when I it was interviewing her like this, you know, I talked to the first time. I actually started off the call. I said, I, was like, hey, I got to tell you, I'm super upset with you. I was so angry at you. She's like, and I'm like, and I was like, you should have applied eight months ago. Like, <laughs> we we're, I mean, we're kicking ass this year. We're, I just looked at numbers before I applied with you. We're 26 and a half percent over where we were on June 14th last year. And, uh, and we nice. destroyed. I mean, we've had the four months of this year have been four of the five biggest months in the company's history. Nice. And so, I'm like, man, we're kicking it, and which is great. But it's, I mean, if she was would have joined us eight months ago, I think we'd be better because she's really good. I'm super excited. She's, yeah. I mean, she's great on podcasts. If you ever want to have a different uh, voice, different opinion on yeah. mine, I mean, she's amazing. So I'll yeah, thank like you guys it. if and when you feel the time is right. Yeah, the last person we hired was similar. Like she was a marketing, she's very uh, experienced and moved up the marketing world working for like healthcare and some finance yeah. but ended up in healthcare so marketing healthcare guru decided she wanted to do a career change and took on her own to take the cfp and studied all the stuff and so she comes to us she's like, she's got her master's she's got super experienced marketing like yeah. executive level marketing and then she's like, i just took my cfp i've already passed it i want to do a career change i realize i need to start in an entry-level position and i like what you guys are doing and we're like, I mean, that's an, and she's a cool person and all yeah. the other things. It's like, you want to start today? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. fit. No, I had one guy, I had one guy who's written, applied, he's like written books for MGMA and done, we had some really good candidates. But at the end of the day, I'm like, this guy's super talented, super great. And he really knows his stuff. But I just think that he would, I, don't, I think that he and I wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, mesh really well together. And I don't think he'd mesh well with Jan, who's like our coordinator of all. And that's like that cohesion at a personal level is super important. So I'm like, gosh, I'm like, and this other gal's just amazing too. So, but yeah, uh, yeah. anyways, it's, how do you uh, find your people? In the yeah, I'm glad business is good. I do want to, so I put jobs up on LinkedIn and on Indeed and I have 
168 applicants in three days. Mm-hmm. And but what I actually kind of know like what I'm looking for, and I actually just go hunting. I'm oh like, yeah, I know. Like I just type, I start searching on LinkedIn. I'm like, I want these credentials. I want this type of background, and I'll just I'll spend two three hours myself. Just even I'll put a job posting up there, and I'll dig and dig, and I'll find somebody that I think lines up based on what I've seen work here before. Like, this is the pedigree of somebody who's done very well here, and I'll try to find that same pedigree or similar. And I'll look through some of their stuff and see if it's worth talking to them and their personality, if I can tell. And then I'll email them. I'll just LinkedIn mail, whatever it's called, them, and be like, hey, you look like you'd line up well. Please take a look at the job posting. If you are excited, I'd love to talk. Yeah. And that's how I, that's how I found this. That's how I found this gal. I, I messaged her and said, I want you to apply, even though we went from 168 to one, and she was the one that we wanted. So nice. And well. she was the one I'm that super you excited, sought out yeah. too. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, are, and your know, people I mean, are... it's, not, it's not like Indeed. It's not like Indeed. It's not like LinkedIn. I mean, I think the, I think my total spend for the LinkedIn job post and pushes and all that stuff was, I don't know, two hundred dollars or something. Yeah, it's so not like, expensive. Crazy, but still, I mean, I, it's not that I didn't need it, but it's all. It also gives me a level of. It's not just I'm arrogant thinking I can pick somebody out of a haystack. It's like we had all these people apply and we whittled them down, and she was still the best. Yeah, that's a good oh, process. That's, that's how I've done it. You know, yeah, your people are virtual it, so. too, right? Um, are your staff yeah. virtual? Yeah, yeah. It, we found that and, that's uh, becoming way bigger selling point. Like people love that nowadays. Seems like, and it's so much less expensive. Correct than having an office, so it allows you to kind of pay them more. Now, I'll tell you, I had, we just had a survey go out, and it's like, hey, would you be interested in a meetup? Because like uh, most of our people have never met each other. We'll talk on the phone, <laughs> but since we were, I mean, we span four time zones four time zones and people have some people do this full-time some people have like full-time jobs some people just kind of don't they're retired they just do it kind of spare but it's hard for us even to do like a zoom call and just chat <laughs> with everybody at yeah. the same time how many um, people do you have time zone difference and, and kids eight maybe yeah we're doing and a so in-person um, meetup with everybody in a month from now that's what so so i just sent out a survey and it was like hey would you be interested if so Name your top five cities. Would yep. you plan? Would you go to this? I even like, do we go international? Because the US is so expensive. Like I could potentially st- save money if we did it somewhere outside of the US. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, hotels, even if we say everyone to Chicago, well, mm. dinner for eight, 10 people or whatever in Chicago is $4,000. Yeah. $3,000 like a good dinner with a tip and a wine and everything. And then, and then it's and then airplane tickets to Chicago. I mean, every, and the hotel room and then tipping and then everything is just nuts. We're like, we could probably get like a hell of a steal on tickets somewhere that would be and if you just as in, expensive, but the meals would be less. When you invite 100% of your staff, I think it's full-time people, but like when you invite everybody, it's all deductible, even if you do entertainment, which is interesting. I know, but still, it's, yeah, but I, if, I, if I can spend... I know it's all deductible, but if I can save, but if you don't, if, if you save, don't invite everybody, certain parts of it aren't deductible. That's what I've found from my experience with my account. Invite that's what my account. versus attend. Correct. Yeah. Invite is different than attend, though. Right. I know. Okay. So, if, so our event, we made yeah. sure to invite everyone, and then now it's all deductible. Even though part of our stuff is like excursions, like the excursions would. Normally oh, so I should then I should say, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So I could say, hey, the meetings in yeah, the meetings in Australia, 
Correct. And everyone's invited and they say, well, we're not going to fly to Australia, John. Okay, then I guess my trip is deductible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know how far you can push it, but yeah, <laughs> that's the right, you're tracking uh, with me now. Strate strategic uh, entrepreneur yeah. there. We have a rental, we have a rental, like a ski house rental property, if you will, that we bought just to ski, but we haven't been up there much. So we've, we've been renting a little this year. And, and our lawyer or tax lawyer for that place is like, you can have, a, you need to have a meeting every year and file articles and all that kind of stuff, but you can do it anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. he's also more fun to do it so right yeah. yeah so my wife always has somewhere she always has the the, the board meetings somewhere with her friends so correct yeah yeah um, anyways so i i got so what, i've got like 40 minutes or so yeah 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 we'll do, we'll do like 30 30 or 40 30 minute yeah com conversation i think for sure i wanted to talk about the non-compete stuff and if that's is that's i mean i that's still in play but it's not nothing's formal right yeah, no, and I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, um, is it looking less? You know, maybe yeah, it'll can, be a quick thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I think yeah, I think we should touch on it, but I think it's like the they're yeah, they're still working through it, and there's so much stuff. Nobody's gonna care anymore because of the election, and there might be talking points for the election, but I don't think anything's really gonna come through. And even if it does, there's gonna be so many asterisks and exemptions. It's like our insurance policy, right? Okay, well, yeah, but that's not disability, but this is, but that's not, but this is, but that's pre-existing, so you don't get the money. And it's going to be like, okay, well, yeah, okay, no more non-competes for anybody unless you're in this state and you make over this much money and you have this kind of job or like mm -hmm. a non-profit, right? So like maybe like like non-profit hospitals will be able to have them before profits won't. Well, most hospitals are non-profit, you know? And we can talk like what it means. Like we don't see wages any higher in Massachusetts. So Massachusetts hasn't had non-competes for a while. In fact, the new MGMA data has Massachusetts ranked in the bottom five states for compensation in primary care specialty and nurse practitioners. I'm sorry, not nurse practitioners. So like, hmm. they don't have non-competes, which means you think that, well, because it suppresses wages because then you can't quit your job and go somewhere else. But not, I mean, again, I know there's all of these different nuances as well, but like Massachusetts is not high on the list. Neither is California. Neither is mm -hmm. the other states that don't have non-competes. So it's not directly linear tied to yeah. a, a suppression of wages as most people think that it is. Well, we could at least talk about, I think a lot of people don't even understand the non-compete, what even it means and what they're signing up for. And yeah, that's yeah. probably a bigger, more relevant topic. So we're yeah. recording now, but, but we can talk non-compete. Okay. Well, I'll just, I'll, Feel we're, free to cut any of stuff too. Feel yeah. free to like, I'm like, no, I mean, just jump in. To, like, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, like one of the, I've, uh, I was talking with my, my marketing guy, Bill, and he's like, shoot a, cause we have this new compensation RX product. Yeah. And he goes, this was like a year and a half ago. He's like, he goes, shoot a video for everybody. So we know exactly the difference between who should buy contract diagnostics and who should buy compensation RX. And I shot this video, like you see my kitchen in like a hoodie, right? Yeah, and he starts taking it. And he's like, dude, this is really good. I'm gonna start cutting it up and blasting it. And he's blasting it all over social and everything. He's like, it's performing really. Well. I'm like, I'm in a hoodie. I look like that's like, perfect. And I'm, I'm literally like, I'm kind of sitting. I'm kind of sitting on my computer like this, just like talking to my guys like this. And he started <laughs> cutting it up. And, it and said, you didn't like, know you were gonna use a video stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, so anyways, and that there was I did a podcast recording with someone the other day, and I said something, and she laughed, and we, she goes, don't worry, and I said something funny, and. She said, John, don't worry, we can cut that. I'm like, no, I'll leave it in there. No, it's you know? the best. And I think she left it in. Yeah, know? that's, we don't so, cut hardly anything. Yeah. So, anyways, so. If, if you could, yeah, you can always cut something if you want to. They all, like, they convince me. I just said on the non-compete. The production people that I use, they're, they convince me. They're like, you got to just record from the start because we sometimes will use some of that. 
the conversation yeah. sometimes before yeah, the conversation is, but I'm like, whatever, do it. So I'll do a two second pause just yeah. so they know we're actually starting the conversation yeah. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, but you could be www.fixyourcollarbone.com. And you know, it's because we were talking about my collarbone earlier. Yeah. 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 Is that you? And I'm, I'm my, no, I don't have a website. You should yet, buy that. But, you, you should know, buy that. I was. Just, I was I bet it's sure. saying I'll log on right now. I'll be. I'll, <laughs> I'll log on right now. It'll say. It'll say. Sorry, it was just bought in forty minutes You're, ago because you went and bought it or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. For sale for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I have all these websites and I don't know what to do with them. Like I bought ten years ago. I bought White Coat Disability. I bought White Coat in White Coat Investment Broker. I bought White like with when Jim was starting his thing. I'm like, I'm just going to buy White Coat everything. So I bought White Coat Life Insurance, White Coat Disability Insurance, yeah, White Coat Nothing happened. I have, well, no, but I mean, I don't know. I could probably start a disability company or something, right? I don't right, know. right, right. Um, and play off of Jim's, Jim's thing, but he might get pissed. Not why I have to get pissed. But I also like, like your noncompete.com and like restrictivecovenant.com, like all that kind of stuff. And like, we <laughs> want to start building tools on these things, but we just haven't had time to do it. Yeah. But I got like 50 domains. And the more I look at like how much I, how much that <laughs> cost me to maintain yeah. them, well, good night. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth it to keep. I did the same thing and then I started to get rid of them. I'm like, "Ah, I'm not actually going to use those. (laughs) But it's fine. All right. Let's rock it. You ready, Rock? Shoot from the hip if you want to. Yeah. 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 I I was just, I got stuff we can talk about, but usually I I know we're on the same page enough to where we can just kind of roll with it. So, yeah. All right. I'll do a two, two second pause or so and then we'll pick back up. John, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. Always good to see you. Yeah, man, I see you have, you've gotten all fixed up and seems like you got lots more movement now and that all that physical therapy and work has paid off, right? Yes, my nine screws and however many centimeter plate in my, my right collarbone is, is it's, I don't think it's necessary. I think they can take it out here soon, but I'm all healed and exceeded mm-hmm. the physician's expectations. So it just goes to, nice. to show you what a great physician, a team, and then a proper plan, all kinds of about planning, right? About what a good plan can do for accomplish, for accomplishing a goal. Can you feel the weather now with your screws? I hear people say that they can. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, but I don't know. I guess I don't pay attention to the weather. So um, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, nice. it rained the other day and I'm like, I, yeah, I guess I didn't notice it, but I, <laughs> we'll see. Nice. I did go to an airport the other day and I'm like, oh wait, they never gave me like a little card. I thought it was going to go off and I was going to get like on the side, but I don't know if it's like the, I don't know what it's made out of, but they didn't go off. Uh. So maybe it's like titanium and the titanium doesn't go off or something. I don't huh. know. But it didn't go off. Or the metal detector was broken. Or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Who knows? I was pleasantly surprised with that too. So, but no, I'm looking forward to getting the, getting all that hardware taken out and then I yeah. got to find something to do with it. We should survey the, the listeners on what John should do with his metal and uh, screws. <laughs> yeah. You got to keep that as a momentum for sure. Make a bracelet or something. Make a bracelet yeah, or something. Something like that. Um, well, <laughs> no, we were catching up. Thanks for asking. We were catching up last time and there were some questions, follow-up questions that, that came up that we were going to hopefully talk about today and along the lines of negotiating your compensation and some of the arrangements with these employment contracts. And John is the man when it comes to employment contracts and compensation. Your company has all kinds of experience and expertise in analyzing compensation agreements and helping even like handholding through that whole process of walking through the negotiation process, because so we'll talk about it and we can kind of teach you how to do these things yourself, or, or you could even Google and learn these kinds of things. But 
a lot of times it's nice to just have, well, save time, but also have that reassurance of having a person <clears throat> along the way to help you handhold you kind of through that experience. And that's what John's company yeah. does really well. And it's a great service. Yeah. No, there's so much good stuff out there online and we put a lot of it out there for free, mm -hmm. but we believe that every story matters and the story of that you can look at something online for a clause, but it doesn't lead into the physician's story or their family story. So why is the position open? How many colleagues do you have? What happens if a colleague takes off? What's the history of the program? How does your story about, I want to be there for one year and move or five years and retire or go part-time in two months or mm. have a child, like all those pieces of the story, right? They all play into how you should view some terms, whether it's negotiable or not. And that's one of the things that they get with a service like contract diagnostics is they get that personal approach that says, this is how we can customize it to your story, not mm. just some generic, something that you read online, which you put out a lot of but tell me how we can customize it back to the position. So we have a blast doing that here. Yeah, and the families we work with that utilize that service, they across the board have <clears throat> better experiences. I guess the worst case scenario is that people are like, you know, I'm a, in a pretty good spot. Like I get this confirmation that I'm in a really good spot, but more often than not, it's yeah. more like improvement upon where they kind of envisioned things going or awareness of some like landmines that were out there. So it's a big deal to like your job is a big deal and these physician employment agreements are complicated and, and there's a lot in there and it's a lot of foreign language and yeah, it's, it's a big commitment. Income. It's, it's your biggest asset. Your biggest asset is your earning potential as a physician and uh, yeah, well, well, well aware on how a physician can protect themselves from with insurances and disability and life and investments in the future. But making sure that you're earning the appropriate amount of money you know, mm. or the most amount of money that you can is hyper important. And that's what we do every single day. People always mm. look for, how do I save a couple bucks here on my taxes? Or how do I you know, save a percent of uh, interest off my home purchase? But they're looking at, I haven't had a raise in five years, or I right. don't even know if I'm paid fairly. And you're trying to save a thousand bucks on something and you're it's, being paid, underpaid 40 grand a year. Or right. Let's, let's more. focus on so the low hanging fruit. It's a super important thing to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Which is why we have fun here. So we get yeah, there's great lots, people, smart people about very, very important things. Yeah. There's definitely lots to talk about. I think the good starting point is this whole, I think in, in, with physicians, there's a lot of turnover and a lot of burnout or whatever you want to call it. Like it, a lot of physicians that are unhappy mm -hmm. in their work. And so there's lots of desire to leave and then sometimes you realize there's surprises with contracts. I don't know that everybody goes in eyes wide open on what their contract limits them in terms of their ability to leave and what the obligations are. And if they can open up or go work for another practice nearby or those sorts of things. And they end up like getting the surprise on the back end when they're like six months in, they bought the really nice house in the city that they grew up in. And life is good, but work sucks. And they're like, I need to go work for the other yeah. place because this place is terrible. Like it's, I, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And then they go to read their, through their contract again. And they're like, crap. Like I, I got nothing. I got no option. Yeah, I got to yeah, leave. Yeah. I got to move away in order or else I'm stuck here. So, so non-competes, locking in, in people, bonuses that are tied to working a certain period of time. I think th mm -hmm. that's our super important area of contracts that sometimes are overlooked. And then there's some changes brewing too on in the world of, well, not changes. There's some talk brewing around the non-compete 
world about yeah. potential changes we were kind of getting into before we started recording. So maybe we could start yeah. there. What's going on with no, the dog I mean, beats? Yeah. Well, I mean, to kind of say, go back to what you said earlier, I mean, like burnout's real. And there's lots of different recommendations coming out now by companies like MGMA with new survey data that just came out, which we have at Contract Diagnostics, if anybody needs updated data sets. But there's all kinds of new talk about burnout, about retention rates, about, yeah, how do you keep a physician around? Because everyone knows to turn a physician over, it can cost $100,000, $300,000 in everything when you look at lost productivity and locums and recruiting and adding someone on and signing incentives and everything. So burnout and retention is super important to, to, it's becoming more and more important to employers. And I think rightfully so. I think a physician, there's obviously things that they can keep an eye out for so they don't do that. Because again, your earning ability, your income, your physician's salary is one of your biggest assets over 10, 20, 30 year career. Now, how that plays into your contract and what happens if you're burned out, what happens if you want to leave, the termination provisions are vital. If you have mm-hmm. to buy tail insurance, that could be a hundred thousand, any five thousand to a hundred and fifty thousand dollar payment on termination that you may or may not have. And it's not easy to finance tail insurance because unlike your new boat, the bank can't go take your boat back with your malpractice insurance tail so, purchase, right? So you can't just go back and you have to pay for it in essence. So it could be a costly. And yeah, then how so do tail you insurance, and then you have what's, an what's, like you said, those are super important things. What are some example costs for tail? I, I can throw out some examples, but like you have a lot more experience. Like what's a typical like range of costs and yeah. for tail so, insurance? I know it's a big range. It all, yeah, it all depends on the type of the physician, right? And to some degree where they're practicing and to some degree their history, right? So just like an automobile, mm-hmm. if you have a an older front-wheel drive minivan that's worth $1,000 or $5,000 and it doesn't go very fast. And you What know, are you trying to say about front-wheel drive the, minivans? <laughs> no, nothing. I'm, I'm, just I'm saying that insurance is cheap, so there's going to be good purchases. But if you have a super-fast red convertible sports car, Right, mm. probably going to be a little more if you get a lot of speeding tickets. So you've got a track record of speeding mm. tickets and driving recklessly and accidents. It's probably going to be a little more. Yeah. So just like with car insurance, it matters if you're a if you're a hospitalist seeing 15 patients a day, or if you're a high risk OB physician mm. delivering babies every single day, or if you're a neurosurgeon poking around in someone's brain or spine. Right. So yeah. Those different. So if you're seeing a diabetic with their glucose levels and prescribing uh, diabetes medications all day, it's much different risk level than if you're sticking needles and yeah. scalpels and cutting people open. So I would say it's that, safe to say it's like the, in, the average is in the tens of thousands. Would you agree? Like on yeah, average? Yes. Um, but so typical. So the way that any physician can do a rough calculation is, and again, the cost per year. So you're, you have to buy your malpractices, just like if you, you have to buy your car insurance every year. But then tail insurance is if and when you leave, you may or may not have to buy it. So to, a, a good way to kind of calculate that, if you don't know, is to find out how much your malpractice premium costs every year. So that's a question that you can call the broker who sold you the policy or your office manager, or you can call the HR department if, if you have one and say, how much does my malpractice insurance cost you every year if the physician's not the one buying it, which is the common way that the employer yeah. provides it. And then take that number and multiply it by 1.6 to 2.5. And it all depends on how long you're there. So if you're just there for a year, it's going to be on the lower end, 1.2, 1.4 times your premium. If you've been there for a five-year period, a, tail ins- a malpractice insurance typically matures over five years. So just to use examples, it might cost a family practitioner 6,000 year one, 
9,000 year two, 15,000 year three, 18,000 in year four, and then 20,000 in year five. And then it might just stay at 20,000, right? Or maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's 6,000, 9,000, 11,000, 12,000, 15,000. And then it stays at 15,000. And so to tail out, you would generally take that 15,000 in the example and multiply it by two to 2.5. Yeah. So 15,000 means 30 grand, right? And that's a rough estimate on what you need to come to the table if you have to buy your tail insurance yeah. um, upon termination. And again, depending on the state, it might be different. Depending on where you're going, what's your employer you're going to, that may be something you can negotiate. That might vary. So again, the story matters. So doing an internet search on um, tail insurance cost um, might give you some really good information. I encourage everyone to do that. Um, but finding out your story and how... Does it matter, for example, if you're in Kansas, staying in Kansas or Kansas moving to Missouri? But Kansas City sits in the, on the state line. So if you're a mile in Missouri versus staying in Kansas, how does that impact your malpractice insurance? It does. People take state income tax, but there's also patient compensation funds in various states that matter as far as like how long you're there and how they cover tail and how they don't. And it's just a lot of nuance. No different than yeah. public uh, student loan forgiveness, right? And I have to be at this facility and work this many hours. And if I do that yeah. for so long, then but an asterisk and an asterisk. And so again, that's why it's good that there's folks out there that can help physicians through these times that maybe things aren't as cut and dry or black and white or binary, if you will, in a yeah. contract. I think the key takeaway- We didn't even talk about the non-competes. Well, we'll get to it. <laughs> the key takeaway with the tail insurance is like, um, is, is being aware of how it affects you if you were to leave on the front end. Ideally, when you're going in, mm -hmm you're aware of how that's going to, who's going to cover tail, first of all, Risk. whether it's your employer or you. Yeah. And second of all, if you're going to cover it, roughly what it's going to cost or some ballpark of what it's going to cost. Because if you you end up in the burnout situation, like I got to leave, like you need to know it's a, because what I, I have worked with people on multiple occasion, it's just, it is what it is. You got a lot of stuff going on. You kind of don't, you gloss over the tail and then you end up having to leave and it's a pretty big number. And it's like, we didn't have that in the picture. Mm -hmm. And it just, if it's 50 grand, you're going to owe to tail. That's just another big factor in the mix. Yeah. Non-competes. Yeah. Well, it comes down to risk and that's why, and I think it's a good segue into the non-compete because when you're signing your contract, even if it's non-negotiable, right, they give you a contract and they say, here, don't even bother having anyone look at it because we're not going to change anything. It's non-negotiable. You still got to know your risk. You still got to have yeah. it looked at so you know what questions to ask. Because again, so risk, whether they'll negotiate anything or not, risk. Can you get out? How do you terminate? When can you? What about malpractice tail insurance? What about a non-compete? What about how you're compensated on termination? What about risk of things that aren't in the contract, like caps on call or PA coverage or a certain resource or a technology that you might need? Etc. Etc. We could go on and on for hours, but portion of that risk, is, which is again should be done on the front end. People call us and they'll say, "John, I signed this thing two years ago. Can you help me get out?" And we're like, "Well, what do you have?" And they're like, "I don't know. No, I nobody looked at. It. I just signed." It. We're like, "Oh crap!" Oh, and then no. those are the ones that you got to break news. Say, "Look, it's going to cost sixty grand to get out of this." Like, I have sixty thousand dollars. So. I say all that because the risk assessment, right? And anything, as you're an investment guy, anything is risk and reward, right? I'm going to risk having less money today for the reward of having more money tomorrow. I'm going to risk losing my money in my 401k or in my directed plan from a professional like you guys. I'm going to risk that might go down uh, for the benefit of it might go up. 
and hopefully I hire good people rent financial and I, I can I can have more benefit than risk. And yeah. It's the same thing with contracts. What's the risk, right? Well, termination, non-compete, tail insurance, et cetera. What's the benefit? Well, it's about money. It's about benefits, like vacation time. It's about retirement mm -hmm. accounts. It's about income and bonuses. But if we go back to that risk piece, that non-compete is a big portion of the risk. And it's vital that a physician understands not just the non-compete, but the restrictive covenant. So the restrictive covenant would be you know, what you can't do either during or after the job, most likely both. So a restriction could be you can't work with, you know, you can't moonlight while you work here, or you can't own a pizza company while you work here unless you get our permission, depending on how the contract's worded. Another restriction would be you can't hire one of our employees or contractors after you work here. Another restriction would be you can't solicit the patients. They're ours, not yours. So if you leave, you can't. You can't take the patients with you. You don't own the patient. Those are all types of rest uh, restrictive covenants that are not non-competes. Now, you may also have a non-compete, and non-competes would say for this, they're time-bound, right? So for so many months or so many years, they're geographically bound. You can't do something in a certain area, whether it's a certain mm -hmm. number of counties or a certain radius, or and then obviously the more specific, the better. It's specific to your specialty or not. How detailed is it to your specialty? Is it what's the time zones? And I think that's all super important for a physician to understand the non-competes because we see them in most contracts and even the states that don't have contracts, we don't see. I know there's been a lot of talk about the FTC and President Biden before Trump and like what they wanted to do with non-competes and maybe Biden can, can pound a gavel or wave a pen and everything goes away. And we, I didn't think that was going to happen when he announced it. I was, of course, cheering for it because I think it's good for our positions. But I didn't think it was going to go through. We don't really have a whole lot of new data yet. I don't know that we're going to with the pending election and all the stuff yeah. that's going to come out. It might be a talking point for some of the candidates. But as far as President Biden waving a wand and magically you know, dissolving every non-compete for every worker in the country, I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think even if there is some federal regulation, I think there's going to be some different state changes and asterisks and everything else. I know one of the proposals was, okay, we'll do it with non-competes, but nonprofit institutions can have them. And you and I both know lots of hospitals that tend to be nonprofit, or they might just be exempt, right? So a non-exempt employee would be under that rule. So maybe no non-competes for somebody who works at Starbucks or somebody who works at Home Depot versus Lowe's or something, right? Because they get paid hourly and they're an exempt person. For a physician, wouldn't be a physician. They don't get 15 minute breaks every four hours of work. They don't. They're not entitled to an hour long lunch break. So they're a, they're exempt from some of those regulations, laws, rules. And so therefore, I'm assuming that there would be an asterisk for some of those employees, which would be mm. physicians, or maybe it's people who earn over a certain dollar amount per year or have compensations. So. The initial dollar amounts that I've seen would yield all physicians out of whatever carve out they would do, except maybe a part-time pediatrician. So, and then again, how does that impact nurse practitioners and PAs? Because they're, yeah, know, it they, gets they complicated. Make less, but they're starting to make a whole lot more. So it's so interesting and in, to to kind of figure out what's try to project what's going to happen. Yeah, who but knows? at the end of the day, I, I nobody knows. And I think even if something does go through, it's going to be superficial for somebody to get some good press on it. And then I think it's not really going to roll down to physicians. And if it does, I think that would be a good thing because I think physicians who you know are dedicated to a community because of a family or because their kids are in school or, or some reason, and they don't want to leave the community, but they want to leave the employer and there's an option they just 
quote, can't. I think that would be a, a great option for them. Again, as you de-risk any agreement, right? So if that non-compete represents 10% of your risk or 20% of your risk in a deal and you just, boof, take it out, that's great. Your benefit to risk ratio dramatically improves just by yeah. that. But will it automatically increase salaries? Are physician salaries suppressed because of non-competes? A lot of people say yes. I don't know. I The new MGMA data is just out and we've been analyzing it for weeks over here. And I do know that Massachusetts is one of the lowest paying states when it comes to specialty and primary care pay. And yet Massachusetts hasn't had non-competes in decades. Mm-hmm. And I look at the states that are paid the best and there are states where non-competes are very active. So again, if a physician could just leave one job to go to the next because of a $2 per RVU difference, um, I think if they could do that, which they have been able to do that in certain markets, and I realize there's lots of other stuff going on from payer data and access and market demands and everything else, but we don't see salaries flushing up in states faster without. than others anyways, or even in the highest paid states, in states without non-compete. So how would it directly impact physician compensation? I don't think for the, for the masses, I think the answer is it doesn't. For mm-hmm. that highly trained surgeon, I think the answer is it might. For that super productive pulmonologist, I think the answer is it might. Because they could go back and say, look, if I can't get three bucks more per RVU, the hospital next door will give it to me. Now, again, so, can you solicit the patients? Maybe not. So again, just because it's not a non-compete doesn't mean there's not a non-solicitation. And yeah. Your patients may or may not yeah. follow and you may or may not continue to generate 12,000 RVUs a year. So there's so many non, like non-competes. Non-competes are pretty strict and solid and non-solicit is kind of a little bit, I'm using simple terms. It's much more complicated, but like non-solicit is a little bit more dialed down version. It's less restrictive, but you still can't go after your patients. Non-compete is nothing in this area. Like you can't do anything. So that's the, and they're pretty common, like the non-compete. So that's important. I think the takeaway with non-competes is that everybody should know like what their non-compete limits them to and ahead of time before they even sign. Because if you're going mm-hmm. to an area, especially if you're like going to an area, well, I, I mean, I think anytime, but if you're going to an area, like I grew up here or my family or whatever, it's mm-hmm. especially important. And <clears throat> I have known many worked with many people that ha- basically had to leave an area because mm-hmm. a job, didn't work out. And that's like kind of not fair. I mean, it's like your yeah. job dictating or do locums for a year. Yeah. I'm or had to go away and come back, which is a, just a mess. And it's not, yeah. not very, but how willing are employers to budge on these non-competes in your experience? I, yeah, that's a great question, man. And I think it depends on the situation, right? I think it, again, why is the contract terminating in the first place? Is the service line just not busy? So you're not making as much money as you'd like. So you'd like to do something else. They might be fine letting you go and mm. forgiving it on compete because they're not doing what the, the program's not doing what they thought it would. Is the reason that you would like to stay in time with because they don't have the technology? Well, that might be different. Do you want to open your own practice? Compete. So would you stay on at the hospital? And yeah, but. I mean, again, there are some contracts have carve-outs for private practices. So it'll say, you can't work within 25 miles of my hospital. However, if you want to stay on staff at my hospital and open a private practice, you're more than welcome to. 
hmm. right? It's like, and again, it depends on the specialty. But if you're going to stay on staff at my hospital and admit your patients to my hospital, or if you're a surgeon, you'll do your cases at my hospital, and you're going to open a private practice and run your private practice like you want to, which means I don't have to pay for your malpractice insurance. I don't have to pay for your staff. And I don't have to put you on my EMR system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The hospitals, I'll take that every day. So for the most part, again, every story matters, which is why it's important to call somebody like contract diagnostics. But hmm. that's where I think when it comes to, even if you want to get out of a contract, you said, like, read your contract. No, no, no. Like read your contract, but call Before. us or call somebody like us and say, here's my story. Here's what the contract says. What do you recommend? Because mm. we might be able to get very creative with ideas and strategies and tactics around helping a physician transition from one position to the next or leave a position and, and ask for forgiveness around the restrictive covenant or the non-compete. Mm. So that creativity that we've learned over 12 years on what's possible, I think, is something that, that we love sharing with everybody. And that's why whatever the situation is, a physician should definitely seek help and ideas because maybe you th you'll read it and you're just you think it's so solid it's so concrete you can't work for 25 miles mm. but maybe it says you can't do a certain portion of your job or maybe it says you can't be a hospitalist but you can go be an internist or maybe and again telehealth has kind of blown a lot of other things up too so yeah. how does it how does it deal with telehealth i mean so there's so many things that matter when it comes to restrictive covenants that it's not just no, most of the time, it's not as simple as 25 mile non-compete from the office at, on Fifth Street. And it's much, much more complicated than that. Um, even if it appears to be simple, they're generally a half a page to four pages long in a contract, even though on the surface, you might think it says you can't practice for a year within 25 miles. So, yep. but, but it takes them four pages to write that, meaning there's a lot more to the story. Mm -hmm. And then a lot more creativity can come, can come on the backside of it when, when we're helping a physician come up with creative solutions to a, a situation that they're not happy in and they're looking for a transition. Yeah. Another thing that I would be cautious about with contracts related to contracts that can cause big old problems if you're leaving unexpectedly is the front end bonuses, like the forgivable uh, loans yeah. they call them, but they're, they're, they frame it as a bonus, but it's really a forgivable loan based on saying a certain period of time. And those can be, big surprises <clears throat> they can even they can also be big surprises tax wise even if you do stay mm -hmm. a lot of times that's not quite clarified and all of a sudden you have a tax surprise yeah. but understanding what those terms are uh, preferably so this is i mean in a perfect simple world which is never the case but ideally your employer covers your tail insurance ideally there's no non-compete and ideally the bonus uh -huh. is just your bonus and it's not tied to any level of service that never happens right it's always going to have yeah. baggage attached like they don't just typically i mean like it's typically got some baggage yeah. attached if they're going to write you a big check yeah. and sometimes well, they're long I mean, yeah. commitments like right, i've seen like yeah, five year yeah, it's all risk and reward, right? Yeah. The, the risk is you might have to give us money back if you quit in one year, five years, three years, whatever. The reward is we're going to give you money right now. 20000 yep. bucks, put down on a house or to buy a vacation or to give the it to charity is, or whatever you like to do. With your the problem with, is with a job, especially a new job, is you're basing it off an unknown. And the unknown is, am I going to hate my job? Am I going to love my job? Am I going to be somewhere in the middle? Yeah. And if you hate your job, in my opinion, it doesn't matter how much money you pay me. It's not worth it. Like it's not worth it because you spend so much time in the job 
it's like the majority of your time living <laughs> is your job. And great if point. you're going to spend That's tons and point. tons of hours in a job that you hate, it doesn't matter how much money we're talking, it ain't worth it. So like, you have to be careful when you're going into an unknown, especially brand new, I'm thinking people starting in practice for the first time or transitioning to a new location or whatever, like you're going to a brand new employer. You don't know what their culture is, even though everybody's going to tell you these things like we're yeah. great and everybody's happy, but like, you don't even know until you get in there and things can change always. And these really long, especially the long ones, like I've seen five-year commitment period on, or like a big bonus, big old bonus on the front end, five-year commitment period. That can yeah. be like paralyzing, like just and it amp it amps up all this burnout stuff too. It's like if you're unhappy six months in, and then you realize you've used that bonus to buy a house, and real estate's been and stagnant. And interest and interest is accruing, and interest is accruing, and interest is accruing. Right? It's like I got no choice yeah. but to grind it out. Yeah, yeah. Now, and that, and again, you get, there's ways that you you can be creative with those types of things. Someone's mm -hmm. offering you a hundred grand for a five year commitment. You could say, guys, I'm willing to do a two-year commitment. And for that, I'd like $40,000. But then I'd like retention payments of $20,000 after year two and after year three and after year four or at the beginning of year three and the beginning of year four and the beginning of year five. Knowing that they may want, you can tie each of those to a one-year repayment. That way, maybe at the end of two and a half years, you've received $60,000, um, but you only have to give back $10,000. Much more palatable, much depending on taxes in the state and your income and how you take it and everything else, much different tax situation. Having a hundred grand up front tax and then accruing interest for five years that you may or may have to give back at the full rate plus interest, even after you pay taxes on it. So mm. lots of interesting ways that you can approach a situation like that. Mm. And that's just one of them. So, right. but again, like it's, that may be proposed on the surface. But there might be some creative solutions to not saying I want 120,000 or I want the 100,000 forgiven over three years, but I, I mm. want 100,000 over five, which is all, which is, you said it's non negotiable. I'm taking the 100 over five. I'm just cutting up how I receive it. And it right. may be negotiable. And that that's much more psychologically like tolerable, I guess. Like it's really difficult to get $100,000 yeah. and psychologically not forget that you have to pay it back if you leave. It's just, Cause you're going to tell yourself yeah. like, I'm good. It's going to work out. Like everything's going to be fine. That's just what people do. They justify their thing, what's going yeah. on. And so and we can't, yeah. And we can't predict the future. No, you can't never predict know the future. So that's what's tough. That's what's tough. Yeah. What do you think about in training stipends? Again, I hate to say it depends, but it depends. I yeah. think it's, it's, it's dependent on the situation, right? If a physician who wants to go back to rural Kansas, where their family is, where they grew up, and they want to serve the community there for 20 years, and they're offering a stipend to sign now, and you know you're going to sign anyways, I think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a way, but again, I think it's also it's the risk and the reward, right? So again, I, every story of the physician matters, and that risk and reward for each individual physician may be a little bit different which means it may not make sense for everybody. But in general, I think that they're a good idea. I think they're smart by the hiring entity to get their physicians locked in. You and I have both seen and talked about the su supply uh, demand shortage in physicians and the, how much, how many more physicians we need. I just did a negotiation deal this morning for a urologist at the hospital's trying to hire five of them. And I told the hospital, like, you're offering a signing bonus that's really not competitive and you need five. 
with all due respect, you're not gonna you're not gonna get any if you don't make the package more in line with what your the competition is offering, right? And how did they and respond so, to that? So oh we'll, we'll see. Maybe uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but again, they but all those things matter. And I think because of, of an employer knowing, look, we need more uh, urologists or more fill in the blank, and we're gonna need them over the next five years. There's nothing wrong with them signing a 2026 candidate, which we've hmm. seen 2026 <laughs> contracts come through already. So for this who's starting a contract, <clears throat> starting practicing as an attending in 2026, they're already signed. Yeah. So, but again, I thought it made sense for that position. If 100 people gave us 2026 deals this week, I would think something sounds weird because I don't know <laughs> if that would make sense for 100 people all at the same time because it's such a unique story. But yeah, I do see the, the bonuses. And I do think, again, depending on the situation, maybe you've got three kids. Maybe you need some extra money. Maybe you don't want to rack up credit card debt. Maybe you want to give more to charity or you want to start your retirement savings early mm. or start paying down your student loan. I mean, there's so many things that that additional money, typically 1000 to 2000 we've seen up to 3000 or more per month, every single month of extra money. So you know what a resident and a fellow makes. And you add two or three grand on top of that every single month a significant mm. change to the way that they can live especially if they have a family and financial needs yep now it is like you said it's a risk in in play there so you gotta consider the fact that it could blow up on you like the employer could become a mess or your family could move and you're moving there for that reason and then all of a sudden you're like the hospital stuck. could sell on the new yeah, yeah the hospital could sell out and the new owner mm -hmm. the jerk and the, yeah. the medical director that you thought you were going to work for leaves and you don't like the new person and i mean yeah so much can happen i mean you're a surgeon and you expect it to be one in four call and it now becomes one in two call there's so much stuff that could happen that's just out of mm -hmm. your control yeah, I would generally advocate for <clears throat> flexibility and not locking in because there's all already, it seems like, especially for physicians in the career track, it's almost like everything leads them to be more locked in. It like starts the day that you start mm -hmm. medical school when you get your first student loan check. That's already like a first stage lock-in because you now have a debt that you got to pay back. It's tied to, you got to make a living to pay that back and it's medical school is necessary to get there. So, and then you get into training and then you get into practice and you start sign contracts and bonuses and it's all trying, a lot of times it's lock kind of locking you down hard. And you, I think you got to advocate mm -hmm. for some flexibility because life doesn't work out. Like you said, and I'm with PSLF. That's another thing, man, that I have yeah. a lot of unhappy families that we've worked with that were kind of like doing the thing because of PSLF and uh -huh. Ideally, though, you, you're in a position where you can do things based on what's best for, like you said, your story and not based on the money. Like the money comes secondary, mm -hmm. not to say don't be doing yeah. dumb things with your money, but like your story first, live your ideal life, then do all the money stuff, the contract stuff around that. That's the key. And that's, I think, really what I love what you're saying is about your story. It's like you got to remember to put yeah. that front and center about like, what do you want your life to look like? What's most important? to you and then shape all the stuff around it. And that's what you guys do and yeah. you can tailor it, right? Yeah, and that's why, again, I think, you know, you, I think there's so much really good information out. There's so many great books that are written on physician contracts, but and now we have chat GPT and all that stuff, oh, yeah, which yeah. we've got a really cool video on that. If you haven't they seen can my do video contract, on chat, I saw it. it's on that stuff. They it's can do not, contract it's, reviews but for you wrong. for free, it's, right? Isn't that what it, yeah, wasn't that your conclusion? If, if ChatGPT replaces you? They can't. 
no, they, yeah, they can do it for free, and it'll be wrong. It was the conclusion, right. which is hilarious. Like, <laughs> I mean, and again, I encourage anybody to look up the video that we did. I think it's on like social media and YouTube and that stuff. Yeah, but, I'll link to it. I mean, literally, you ask a you ask a Chat GPT, you put take all all the private private information, of course, and you put the contract in there. And you say, hey, give me five red flags, and it, it's all wrong. And they say, well, do I have malpractice insurance? There's no mention of malpractice insurance, even though Section Five says malpractice insurance, right? Mm-hmm. And then you say, and then you say, well, how much am I going to get paid? And it says there's no mention of compensation, but Exhibit A says they get paid forty bucks in our view. And then you ask ChatGPT, well, what should I make? They say compensation. It's so difficult to negotiate. We don't even know. And they say, well, who do I negotiate with? And they say, we don't know. Maybe the CEO. It could be somebody else, but we don't know. And you're like, yeah. oh my gosh! Come on, so ChatGPT. You're supposed to encourage anyone to play around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I encourage anyone. And we. Believe me, we're building our own tools here at Contract Diagnostics that are going to supercharge and help the physicians go through our system. But I'll tell you, there's lots of really good stuff online. But just like I can go to WebMD and I can look up our rash, right? But nothing's going to replace the judgment of a trained professional. And the 12 years of trial and error that we've had in figuring out what, what works with employers and how to negotiate and what's the right question to ask. All that stuff is something that's not done when you can Mm. find online. Because again, every story matters. So that's what we love working with physicians. It's our passion, and and we have a. It's why we have a free consult on our website. Mm. Anyone can go to contractdiagnostics.com and set up a fifteen minute free consult and just talk to us for free and tell us your story. We love to hear. Yeah, no, I I think that's great, and you have a couple of different service models to where you can do kind of a more full service handholding through the negotiation process and yeah. then more of just a less intensive review of compensation, compensation. Yeah, RX, yeah, right? Everything from yeah, a few hundred bucks. Just look, we're just going to mm. send you some compensation data and talk to you about how you're getting paid. And if it's appropriate or not, and give you some ideas and strategies for a few hundred bucks or a more expensive package where we go through your contract and we call the employer and we go, we, we create pages of notes and we, yeah. we, do the, we help you do the process so you can focus on what the physician's good at, which is providing care to their patients. And then they can be with their family in their spare time. So yeah, yeah and everything if, in between, of course. But if anybody's listening and you've had, if you're in practice and it's been a really long time since you've looked at anything and especially if you have some suspicion of like maybe you're being underpaid or maybe there's some I would say like three years. Three years is every three or years. longer. I would say every two, so if, or two or three years. So if you've been yeah, sitting on your contract for maximum. five years and just Definitely chilling and you've yeah. heard some some gossip about other people getting paid more, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you just maybe just if you've just not even looked at anything in five years, like that's where at minimum something like that compensation RX would be like a good starting point to at least kind of like test 100%. the waters on where you're yeah. at. It's no different than you you check your cholesterol because you don't you had it checked a while back and it was low or it was high, but you do it you still do it every year, every other year yeah. because you want to get ahead of it if it's if something if it needs attention, you want to be ahead of a heart attack. And right? the worst thing it says and, is you're doing pretty good. You're solid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guarantee the worst thing is yeah. Odds are super high that y'all are going to have stuff to, there's always things to improve, but. Well, I would say, think of the employers. We generally think employers need well for physicians and they don't want to burn them out. And even though some of the physicians that we work with disagree with us on that, but we generally think the employers want the physicians to succeed and be happy and work there for a long time and do everything they can to accomplish that. However, their job is to 
maximize revenue and minimize expenses. Physician salaries are expenses. Right. So they want their bonus and their bonus is based on top line growth, right? Profits. And obviously the way to get that is to work your physicians more and pay them less. So there are, the interest of the administration is to obviously, I would assume, keep great talent and keep them happy and everything else, but squeeze it as much as they can so they can yeah. maximize their, their bonus. And again, which is fine, right? That America, healthcare, capitalism, it, it is what it is, like it or not. However, I would say that just like you check your cholesterol or your oil change in your car to avoid a catastrophic, uh-oh, you should call contract diagnostics and look at your compensation data, but not just go to doc symmetry and say, what does a family practice doctor make in Chicago? Okay, that's doesn't take into account your story. So again, because your story matters, that's where we give you the data and we do a 30-minute call with you so we can hear your story and then we can customize an approach. Because I can give you a number all day, right? You have you should have a total cholesterol under 200 and LDLs of 70. Okay, but it doesn't take into account my family history. Does, what about if my HDL is 120? Does that matter? What if I'm on a ketogenic diet or a vegan diet? Um, you know, what if I'm a smoker or I don't smoke? What if I exercise or I don't exercise, right? What if I'm a male or a female? So all those things, you start putting that in there and then all of a sudden 70 starts looking or 170 starts looking better or worse, right? So the story of the patient matters no different than the story of the physician matters when it comes to compensation, understanding it, negotiating it and everything in between, which is why we're here, of course. Yep. Well, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing to keep up the good work and always good to have a conversation about contracts. I mean, at the end of the day, the contract itself is kind of boring and legalese, but like it, it's really important have to have, no, I mean, we, we make fun. the best of it, but it's at the end of the day, it's like, what pays the bills? It's like, that's the gasoline to the engine. I mean, that drives the yeah. ship. And so it's important to pay attention to what your compensation looks like and how all that structure. Yeah. John, I appreciate and, you, you know, coming I on love, as always. I love a deal. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Anything we can do to help your guys, your gals, just you know, reach out. If they have a question for me, ping, yeah. ping you. I'm sure they know your email address. And yeah, yeah. Keep the questions coming. Any questions at any time. Yeah, keep the questions coming. If y'all have particular areas you want to dig into, we'll keep the conversation going and uh, it'll be fun. That sounds good. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see you. Yes, sir. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.